This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anong, speaking to you from the University of Florida's Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory in Ruskin, Florida. Thanks for joining us. Hundreds of millions of aquarium fish are sold each year throughout the world with an economic value of over $600 million. Fish in the hobby come from many different sources, including farms in Florida and wild-caught fish from the flooded forest streams and lakes of the Rio Negro in the Amazon. Tens of millions of fish are exported yearly from this area and are the major economic source of income for many native people. Project Piaba is a community-based interdisciplinary project which has helped improve the livelihood of these native fishermen and maintain the integrity of the rainforests in the region, both vital to sustainability of the peoples and the wildlife in the area. Join us as we talk to Scott Dowd of the New England Aquarium about Project Piaba and how buying aquarium fish helps save the rainforest. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. My guest today is Scott Dowd, a scientist and aquarist at the New England Aquarium in Boston. Scott has worked with Project Piaba for many years. Hi, Scott. Thanks again for being with us today. Hey, Roy. Thanks for having me. So, I have to ask... The uh, first few questions I always like to ask my guests, how, how did you get interested in the aquarium hobby and, and what was your first fish? Well, my initial interest was probably similar to a lot of people. Uh, there was a pond in there, my house when I was growing up and, uh, and I spent time at the pond and I started bringing critters home. And before you knew it, I had all, all sorts of tubs and vats and started picking up fish tanks at, at uh, yard sales and, and everywhere. And um, so it's kind of hard to say what was my first fish, maybe sunfish or tadpoles or something like that. And, uh, and then I discovered tropical fish at department stores. And I think I started maybe, I think swordtails might have been my first tropical fish. Okay. So tell us, a, I guess, a little bit about how you transitioned from keeping these fish to uh, your, a little bit about maybe your education and then how you ended up where you are now at the aquarium. 
Sure. Well, I consider myself very fortunate. Um, I did have very tolerant parents that let me uh, keep a lot of a lot of fish tanks in the basement and every nook and cranny I could find, and um, and I've ha- have always just been attracted to fish and uh, always wanting to go to the pet store as a teenager. Ended up working at pet stores and living in the Boston area, the New England Aquarium was my ultimate destination. I just always wanted to come to the aquarium and uh, and see the, the massive fish tanks and all the spectacular fish. And um, I just came here all the time and started uh, volunteering when I started going to college and I uh, ended up getting a job here. And actually my education background was a little bit untraditional. Um, I did get hired and I, and I ended up taking about 20 years off of college because <laughs> I basically got the career I was going to school for. But um, several years ago, I took a year off and I went to the uh, University of Stirling in Scotland and they have um, what I think is one of the world's premier aquaculture programs. So I, I went and I did a master's degree and I was in a, primarily a very technical aquaculture program, but the whole time, where it, wherever I had any wiggle room, I always focused it on aquarium fish. And uh, I was, um, and I had a thesis project approved to uh, study the cardinal tetra fishery down in Brazil, something that I already had spent um, many years studying. So it was nice to pull those fields together. So can, I guess, maybe tell me a little bit briefly about your job as an aquarist at a public aquarium? I really have a dream job for a fish keeper. My job all day long is to look after fish. And um, we have 1.3 million visitors that come to the aquarium every day. And I maintain our uh, freshwater collection. And uh, my job is to just assemble the most spectacular collection of fish, keep them in the best possible health and thriving and, uh, and displaying to each other and spawning and doing all sorts of really interesting behaviors to try and connect with these 1.3 million people that, that come to see our displays. So I have a lot of diverse responsibilities that also makes it interesting in the, in the long term. I'm responsible for the live fish. I'm also responsible for the appearance of the display. They need to be scientifically accurate. They need to be hygienically uh, clean and appropriate. And they need to meet the the needs of the fish and give them the best conditions for them to thrive. But I also have a lot of engineering to do. I I design a lot of the life support systems and build them and operate them. So really, every day I'm a, I'm a biologist, I'm a, I'm a artist, and I'm a mechanic at the same time. So um, it's very broad based and, and interesting every day. So being an aquarist is kind of like being a Renaissance man, is is what you're telling me then. <laughs> I think that the crew here, they're sort of super generalists. They're very good at a lot of different things because you, you need to be. Why is it a public aquarium is so interested in the aquarium fish trade? Well, um, not only am I a fish lover and a hobbyist, I'm also a conservationist. When I grew up, um, I grew up watching documentaries with uh, Jacques Cousteau and National Geographic, and they, they kind of always ended the same way. They ended really 
on a bummer note. They'd be chainsaws or bulldozers or whatever. And that message was ingrained in me. And so while I was loving fish, I was also very concerned about the environment. 20 years ago or so, I, I mustered the circumstances to get myself down to the Amazon, to the Rio Negro. I was drawn there because that's where a lot of the fish that I love come from. And I wanted to go see this place and see where my fish come from. And getting down there, I did see millions and millions of fish going out. And in the 1980s, I kind of had a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. And I thought, holy cow, this is out of control. They're, they're collecting these cardinal tetras like there's no tomorrow. And before you know it, they're going to be all gone. But it turns out that I, that was that was not only wrong, it was very, very wrong. Uh, the natural history of the of the cardinal tetra lends itself very well to a commercial offtake. Uh, they're an annual species. Their population explodes in the high water season and has a natural collapse in the low water season. So this manual fishing with dip nets from dugout canoes doesn't have a long-term impact on, the, on, on degrading the populations. However, what it's done is it's provided the base of the economy and it provides livelihoods for rural people living out in the Amazon rainforest and because they are economically dependent on it, they have maintained a huge region of the Amazon in absolutely pristine condition. Even though the fish populations are very robust and they, they return every year, if the environment is damaged, if there's clear cutting or cattle ranching or any of those other things that you see happening to the rainforest, if they happen there, the fish populations will plummet. So it was kind of the, the holy grail. It was all based on beautiful tropical fish. It alleviated poverty, it provided livelihoods, and it compelled the people living in the environment to be the, the preliminary line of defense. And the end result is after collecting cardinals for 60 years or so, the populations are still strong, but this region of the Amazon is still intact, and I'm convinced that the primary reason for it is because they're exporting these aquarium fish. So tell us then about Project Piaba and what, what its major goals are and, and some of your involvement with it. Well, Piaba is a local word in the Rio Negro for minnow or ornamental fish. So after having made this observation that the, this fish industry has overwhelming benefits, there was a bit of a, of a joyous period. However, that period was brief because... In looking at the industry globally, we started to see some trends going on that gave us concern that it's possible that this fishery could go into decline or collapse, and not collapse because the fish populations have been exhausted, but it might collapse because there's no longer market demand for these fish. The Rio Negro is a very unusual environment. The water is very, very acidic. Uh, we've found fishes in extremely low pHs, down around three. It averages around 4.5 though. So what the problem is, is that the condition that the fish come out in is not consistent with what the trade wants. The wild cardinal tetras require a lot of extra care. They require a lot of special handling, and that results in an added cost to these wild fish. And the technology of aquaculture has progressed uh, quite a bit, and it's now common that cardinal tetras are farmed in captivity. And the, the paradox here 
and most people would think that the, the, the your pets and wildlife should come from controlled production systems from farms. In this particular case, though, it is a little bit unusual in that if the farmed cardinals replace the wild cardinals completely, then we're concerned that the exports will stop, the fishing communities won't have their market anymore, and they're going to be forced to turn to other activities uh, that happen in other parts of the Amazon where they don't have the fish, the, the clear cutting, cattle ranching, gold, ran gold mining, and stuff like that. It doesn't necessarily mean that cardinal tetras can't be produced in captivity anymore, but Project Piaba is now working to try and address some of these critical problems. We're trying to work with the fishing communities to improve handling methods, to improve conditioning of the fish before export so that the, the quality of the fish is suitable for trade. And then after, if we can address the technical problems, we think that, we, that green marketing and eco-labeling, fair trade marketing might uh, provide an opportunity for these cardinal tetras to stay in the market. Most hobbyists that I know are also very passionate conservationists, and I think if they're given the opportunity to buy wild cardinal tetras that are from known origins, if they're if the hobbyists know that if they buy these fish, some of their fish are going to some of their money <laughs> is going to go back to the uh, the fishing communities and continue to uh, to maintain this economic drive for environmental stewardship. So our goals are to preserve the functioning of the fishery and enhance the uh, economic and cultural and environmental benefits of it. How did the, that area, the Barcelos region of the Amazon, become established to be such a hub for aquarium fish? Um, well, back in the 50s, post-World War II, when fish keeping was becoming very popular in the U.S., it turned out that a lot of appropriate fish uh, for, the, for the fish trade were coming out of that region because the, the Rio Negro is kind of unusual. Unlike the Amazon, it has a lot of silt and organic material that Rio Negro has almost no organics. So basically, it's very hard to make a living as a fish. And as a result of that, the fish populations have been miniaturized. It's hard to be a big fish when there's not much food. And because the opportunities to, to get food are so limited, there was a lot of speciation. So because of the, the geology of how South America and the topography of how it's shaped affected the chemistry and the content of the water and the fish response to that was to have lots of little weird fish that live there. And people love weird little fish. And so since the 1950s, the 60% uh, of the income for the region has been uh, from the export of aquarium fish. You, you had mentioned uh, some of the, I guess, green marketing. How do you think that will um, affect the industry and the hobby? And, and what, what are the, um, some of the plans you guys have you know, to go, when you go that next step? Well, I'm concerned. I go to a lot of fish club meetings, and I, I'm very active in the, in the fish keeping community, and I'm seeing few and f fewer and fewer young people. When I was a kid, um, there, weren't, there were limited things for kids like me to do, and one of the things was to start a fish tank at home. These days, there are so many other things that kids can do. They can get online. They have World of Warcraft. They have all sorts of other things that, that they can do. So what I'm hoping is that the, the fish industry can continue to grow with, with cultural trends. And 
environmental responsibility is now part of our culture. And if we can associate the fish trade, there are many aspects of fish keeping and the trade of aquarium fish that result in benefits to the environment and an increased understanding of uh, aquatic ecology and conservation issues. So if we can embrace some of those in our trade, in our hobby, I think we can better connect with young people. And fair trade and eco-labeling is not something new. You see it when you go to buy a, a cup of coffee, when you go to Home Depot to buy timber, uh, you're constantly exposed to, to fair trade issues. And I don't think that, um, that that's something that's unique to those other, those other things. It's, we can associate it with, with fish too. So if we start really highlighting some of these benefits of aquarium fish, I think we can connect with a new generation of hobbyists and re-spark the fish keeping and, um, and have a whole new generation of fish keepers. Well, we're going to have to take a break in uh, maybe a minute or so, but do you have to, uh, before, before the break, you have to give us maybe one of your favorite short stories. You've been down there, I know, a number of times. What, what's what's uh, happened down there that, that has been kind of memorable for you? One thing that I was really shocked by, when you go to this little town of Barcelos, there aren't a lot of foreigners that go there. And every year at the end of the fish collecting season, they have the Ornamental Fish Festival of Barcelos. They, in fact, they built a stadium called the Piaba Dome, the Minnow Dome. And they have this enormous celebration with tens of thousands of people and very few tourists. This isn't a show that's put on for foreigners. This is their culture in their community. And the biggest event of the year is this celebration of aquarium fish. And so to me, as a fish keeper, to go and, and participate in that, in that ornamental fish festival has really been quite moving. That definitely sounds like a lot of fun. Well, let's take a short break and hear from our sponsors before we uh, continue our discussion of Project Piaba, Cardinal Tetras, and the Amazon with Scott Dowd. So we'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. We're continuing our conversation with my guest Scott Dowd from the New England Aquarium about Project Piaba, Cardinal Tetras, and the Amazon. You mentioned a little bit about, um, I guess, maybe the some of the interactions or, or things between farm fish and, and some of the wild fish. I guess, what are some considerations you think should be made with regard to purchasing aquaculture versus wild-caught fish? And, and also, how will... Or how does this kind of affect just aquarium fish farming in the U.S.? Well, I think the two are very complementary to each other. And increasing concerns and even legislation 
related to fish keeping are being addressed. We've had a few incidents in the U.S. where some fish have been uh, introduced. Uh, we, we now have lionfish in the Caribbean. And things like that, people tend to look at the aquarium fish trade and raise concern. So I think anywhere where we have opportunities to demonstrate responsibility, we really need to put those examples forward. And this Cardinal Tetra example is a limited one. Very high standards now for producing fish in the U.S. There are great measures taken to avoid having exotic species escape into the environment. There's responsibility in managing aquatic diseases. And it's important that we that we address these issues and demonstrate that we are, there has been legislation proposed that would ban the import of exotic fish because, in my opinion, an overreaction to some of these, these examples. For example, the lionfish, um, the snakehead introduction, I don't think that was because of an aquarium fish release, but if some of these over overextending laws go through, it's really going to have a negative impact on fish keeping and the hobby. So uh, if we can continue to demonstrate responsibility and highlight the good aspects of the industry, we're going to have the whole fish trade and fish hobby seen in the best possible light. You mentioned, I guess, the legislation. What specifically were they looking at doing, the, the, uh, I guess, the Congress or the legislation? Well, you can you can Google House Resolution 669 and uh, read about it in detail. It was called the Non-Native Species Reduction Act, I believe. And it, again, was to ban the, the import of all non-native species. But not only that, it was to ban the, the interstate transport of not just fish, but all but, I think they started with a list of about a dozen species that were exempt. And that's cats, dogs, horses, chickens. Um, I think goldfish was only the, the only fish on the list. But essentially, it would ban even breeding guppies at home. It would ban driving across the state line with, with a parakeet. So obviously, that would just be devastating on fish keeping. And when that legislation was proposed, I was very proud that New England Aquarium submitted a letter to the Congressional Subcommittee considering this, articulating that if the legislation went through as it was written, it would have catastrophic results on the environment. And, and sticking with this one example of the Cardinal Petra, immediately any of the entire U.S. market would be lost. These Amazonian fishing communities would be out of work and they would be forced to do other things in order to provide for their families. So I think that the answer is dialogue um, with legislators and also to work with organizations like PJAC, the Pet Industry uh, Joint Advisory Council, Ornamental Fish International, some of these national and global industry trade groups to help to convey some of the very specific examples of responsibility and the benefits of, of fish keeping to in, in order to have those examples considered when these, when these legislations are being discussed. Now, it sounds like Project Piaba and the Cardinal Tetra fishery from Brazil is a, you know, a really great poster child for how, how well, when things are done properly, you know, the aquarium industry really is uh, sustainable and great for in many different ways. Are are there any other kind of similar situations where the fish trade is a good tool for showing conservation or for for um, promoting it? 
there there are some other examples in in Guyana. There is a, a a massive reserve, but there are people. There are some indigenous communities that live in 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 that reserve, and these people also need livelihoods. They need to earn a living, and so they have some fantastic fish that live in this area. So we're looking to connect them with the global aquarium fish trade. In India. They're seeking to increase the exports of aquarium fish, and we are partnering with a, a little conservation organization to do a little experiment. They're in this region in India, it's very, very populated, very developed, but there are some national parks, and the national parks have the fantastic wildlife. They have the, the elephants, tigers, hornbills, stuff like that, and the the borders of the national parks are delineated by a river, and these rivers have really neat fish. But this intense juxtaposition from a preserved area to a developed area is kind of a, a very sensitive spot where there's poverty on one side and wildlife on the other. We're looking to establish some of the resident households that live on the opposite bank of the river from the reserves as fishing families. And if these residents are now connected with the well-being of the river and the fish, they're going to be highly motivated to try to preserve that environment. And so we're looking at the aquarium fish trade as a potential a tool, a mechanism where it can be directed in areas of, of great importance and sensitivity to try and reduce some of these bad environmentally destructive practices. Those are definitely some great examples, and, and uh, I hope there's a lot of success with that. It seems really uh, really worthwhile with um, going back, I guess, to the Amazon and, and the fishes that you've been working with uh, specifically and, and for many years, I guess tell us a little bit about some of the other species, including the Cardinal Tetra Four, someone that's interested in keeping these fish. You know, what are maybe some of the different species out there? What kind of setups should they use? You know, what sort of water quality? You know, that just kind of general information. Sure. What can you provide us. Well, there is a great diversity of, of fish that are coming out of the region. Mostly uh, in numbers, there are a lot of caracins from that particular region. There are, uh, of course, cardinal tetras, rummy-nosed tetras, bleeding-heart tetras, marble hatchetfish. There are a lot of really neat lorikarids, uh, the plecos that come out of there. Uh, there are some fantastic cichlids, many epistogrammas, the checkerboard cichlids, uh, angelfish, discus come from there as well and a typical amazonian aquarium you you maintain a, a slightly acidic ph six or 6.5 is is fine and uh some bog wood uh, it will help with that or some peat and uh there are some products available too blackwater extract you can get off the shelf it makes for a nice community tank these tanks also, there are many fish that are produced in Florida that are very compatible with that too. Uh, there are some really spectacular platies and mollies and lots of different varieties of corridors, cat, catfish that are, that are produced in Florida that are very compatible with, with these types of community tanks. So you can have a very balanced aquarium with the usual types of filtration, a power filter and a sponge filter, most of these fish don't require special foods. Most of the, the flake food and small pelleted foods um, allow have these fish thrive. And uh, you can have a very diverse and, and, and fun tank. And if you do include some of these fish, 
that are from these regions. When you look at your aquarium, you can be sitting in a in a snowbound living room in Cleveland, but you look at these cardinal tetras and you you're, you're connected with these communities that, that are living in the Amazon rainforest. Well, I, I know we've talked a little bit about it, um, you know, off air, and it sounded like you guys had a lot of cool things planned for Project Piaba with regard to some of the uh, you know more modern networking. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, I will tell you about it. I have to confess it's, it is a daydream at the moment, but it's, it's the connection between the fish keeper and these and the, the places where the fish come and the fishing communities that I really want to try to find ways to connect it. And what I'm envisioning is um, when a fisherman comes into Barcelos with his cardinal tetras, that group is assigned a lot number. And that lot number stays with that group of fish all the way to the retailer. And if a customer walks into a pet shop and sees a sticker on the tank and says, what's, what's, what's up with this? They're told a few things. They're told, okay, this is a, a sustainable fish. The populations are monitored by the University of Amazonas research team down in Brazil. This is also a fair trade fish. Some of the, if you buy this fish, some of your money goes back to these communities. Best handling practices have been established, so the fish has been very well conditioned and stabilized, so it will thrive in your in your home aquarium. But on that sticker on the tank, I want that, that lot number to be there, and I want the hobbyist to be able to go home and go online and enter that lot number and put in their zip code and stuff to make sure that, that the traceability is consistent that that group of fish was sent to, the, to that particular region. And then the hobbyist gets an email back with a link to possibly even a Facebook page for the fishermen that caught their fish. And pictures of the fishermen, pictures of his community, pictures of the stream, lists of other fish that live there, water chemistry parameters, but also a, a, a Google Earth link where you put in your home address and then with the existing Google Earth tools, you, you do a flyover and you go from your snowy living room in, uh, in Cleveland right down into the, the middle of the Amazon rainforest. And I think that it adds depth to fish keeping. And it's really going to possibly be a, an area of growth for the hobby to take advantage of some of these social networking sites. If you log on that you've bought fish from this, you're suddenly linked with other fish keepers around the world that have gotten fish from there as well as the, the fishermen. So uh, we can get consistent with current culture of, of responsibility and, uh, and environmental um, awareness and connect with young people using tools that they're, that they're obviously embracing. I think that's a great idea. It's on, and definitely, definitely a great way to connect with uh, a lot of the younger folks, as you say. So I, yeah, ho- definitely would, looking forward to seeing that. And, you know, that's kind of how it starts. You got to dream about it. And, and I know, I know you, Scott, you're pretty uh, focused, so I'm sure that'll happen soon. Now, are there um, examples of clubs getting involved? And also, how can, how can hobbyists get more involved with Project Piaba? Well, um, I'm, I'm, one of the things that makes me very encouraged in this is uh, the, the, the fish clubs that I go and give talks to, they are, they're really enthusiastic about it, and, they, and I get a lot of positive feedback about they're very passionate not only about fish but about the environment, and they really love this example of how fish keeping in their trade 
is addressing this really it's, it's a global problem with loss of rainforest and how it turns out that little fish can be a key to preserving Amazon rainforest and more and more clubs have been <laughs> having fundraisers they'll have their annual auction and they'll donate proceeds to Project Piava and that's enabled us to do some really uh, fantastic work to, to, to move things along so that's one way clubs can get involved uh, another way is that you can actually join us in the field every January they have this ornamental fish festival and we organize a trip we'll either charter one boat or two boats or more boats if we have more people that want to come along and what we do is we bring people down to Manaus Brazil and you you will uh, get out to the the fishing grounds and see how ornamental fish are captured you'll go to Barcelos the little hub in the field and uh, you'll see the ornamental fish festival and in Manaus you'll see some export facilities where the fish are sent out to their uh, international market so, if you're connect, if you're really passionate about fish, and if it's such a part of your life, you can come down and uh, and join us down in Brazil. Well, that sounds really like a lot of fun, and I, I've I've actually unfortunately never been able to go down there, but I'm hoping to in the next uh, couple of years or so, and uh, see how the work you guys have been doing. And I know I know Scott we've talked we've talked for many years about it, and uh, you've done some great things down there. So, unfortunately, we're out of time. I've got so many other things to ask and talk to you about, but we're, uh, we'll have to cut it here. I want to thank you, Scott, very much for the interview, our producers, especially Mark Winter, for making the show possible. Did you have any final words, Scott, or any info? Um, we're definitely going to include a lot of the links and also pictures on the blog, links on your Aquarium Mania webpage. But do you have any final words for our listeners? Well, the sport fishing industry has a neat program. It's called Take a Kid Fishing. And it's for people who have grown up sport fishing to take young people out fishing. I hope that all the fish keepers out there will do everything they can to introduce young people to fish keeping. So next time you Christmas comes around and you need to get something for your nephew or niece, get them a 10-gallon starter kit and uh, give them some of your, your baby fish from home and let's all work to try and uh, create a new generation of fish keepers. That's definitely a great, a great suggestion. Thanks again, Scott, for, uh, for your words and, and all the work you've been doing. Please be sure to check out Scott's web pages. The links for many of the things we've discussed will be on his Aquarium Mania bio page. I encourage all of you to visit my Aquarium Mania blog on Pet Life Radio. You'll find pictures related to this episode and can ask questions or make comments. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, email me at drroy, D-R-R-O-Y, at PetLifeRadio.com. That's drroy at PetLifeRadio.com. If you're ever in Florida, please be sure to visit the Aquarium Mania exhibit at the Florida Aquarium in Tampa, one of my favorite aquariums. And definitely, if you're in Boston, visit the New England Aquarium and, and see all the work that Scott and his folks there have been doing in all areas of the world. Until next time, please visit your local aquarium stores and keep your tanks clean and your fish healthy. And remember, buying Cardinal Tetris from Brazil helps save the rainforest. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. 